Good morning, Cornerstone! Welcome, I'm so glad you're here this morning. I want to tell you about a safari we're all going on. Roar! VBS is coming here to Cornerstone in just a couple of weeks. If you've already signed up to volunteer, or you've signed a kiddo up, or you've already donated, thank you so much. But if you want to get on board and join the safari, you can sign up to volunteer, you can sign up a kiddo, or you can donate either by going online to cccduncannon.com or heading out to the lobby. We have all the information you need out there, including a giant giraffe. Hey guys, I'm glad you're here this morning. Have a great Sunday. Wow, that was really quick. <laughs> Good morning, I'm Dave Sherwood. I haven't been here in preaching in, it seems like, like a month. How are you guys doing? So you guys got an upgrade, so lower your expectations. I'm back. No. All right. Um, like I said, my name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're a visitor here today, welcome to our festivities. Uh, when you came in the glass doors in the front, right in front of you is kind of a pallet wall. We've got some people after the service that were kind of guest services. If you've got any questions about the church, you want more information, you can find that information there. In addition, we've got that big giraffe out there. There's some information on there about how you can help out with VBS. Be really thinking and praying about who to invite to VBS and how you can volunteer and donate. Everybody awake and alive this morning? Yeah. Good, good. The first, first crowd, they were a little, they were a little sleepy. So. Um, we are in a series, and the series is called It's Your Move, and the questions kind of out there is, how do we move into showing the world who Jesus is? How do we move into experiencing who Jesus is and then extending that experience out into the lives of others? So I'm going to pray here in a minute. I want you to jump into the prayer, and um, then we're going to jump into this week. So if you're not a believer, by the way, while we're praying, just kind of open yourself up to the experience. But everybody else, just pray along with me. Father God, good morning. Uh, we come to you, Father, and there's just a whole bunch of possibilities. Some of us are in the middle of doubt. Some of us are in the middle of joy. Some of us are in the middle of anger. We're all in the middle of something. But we would ask, Father, that this morning... Your Holy Spirit would come and would enter in to our hearts and our minds. That wherever we're at in the journey of faith, that you would meet us right where we're at. And that you'd be our friend and our guide moving us forward. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So like I said, VBS is coming up. And... Um, got something to, to share with you. So my, um, my one small group, they, they have a catchphrase, and it's, it's called, Dang it, Dave. <laughs> and so uh, it's, it's, it's when I say something that makes them, you know, have to <clears throat> squirm and be uncomfortable a little bit. This morning may have some aspects of that. Uh, famous manager in baseball, Tommy Lasorda, when asked, how do you motivate people, inspire them? He said, 
people will just come in, in two categories. You just need to know which ones you need to pat on the tuchus and which ones you need to kick in the rear. I don't know which way this sermon will go. I will tell you that most of this sermon is from the book of James. And if there's a book in the Bible that is a kick in the tuchus, it is probably the book of James. Why? Well, part of what James is doing is James is stepping into the lives of some of these early Christians, and he's basically saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys are an autopilot. Like, you guys are doing the whole religion, spirituality thing, and it's not salt and light. It's not having any effect in the world. Like, Jesus came, and yeah, he had ideas and all that, but it had a concrete, very real effect of creating life and laughter and joy and hope and meaning in people's lives. It was dramatic and dynamic. And James is the guy stepping in saying, is that what's going on? Or is it not what's going on? The open question that I have this morning to start things out is, does God care? Sooner or later we all ask the question, Does God care about my divorce or my loss of job or what's going on in my marriage or addiction or my grades or boyfriend, girlfriend, and the list just goes on and on. Does God care? And we almost always, if I throw that question out, does God care, we almost always think of that question in terms of ourselves. And we expect, I'm hoping, hey God, do you care? And I'm expecting a direct answer back from him. Prove to me that you care about this stuff that's going on in my life. Now, interestingly, the thing that very rarely happens is if I throw out the question, does God care? It's very rare for people to think about the fact that other people are asking that question. And that in a good portion of the Bible, maybe even most of the Bible, when God answers that question, do I care? He answers it through people. He sends prophets and priests and he sends Jesus and he sends disciples and he he sends all sorts of people to go prove that he does indeed care. And that ends up creating an interesting dynamic for each of us in this room. If we claim to be a Christ follower, are we answering the question in the lives of those around us, does God care? Are we Jesus' hands and feet, his compassion, his life, his laughter? Are we doing those things in other people's lives? It's a DNA question. If you read online, every now and then they've got these DNA kits. You know, find out your ancestry and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, But every now and then there's a horror story. You find out, "Ah, my dad's not my dad, my mom's not my mom. And there's these BuzzFeed stories of DNA testing gone horribly wrong. What's our DNA testing? It's going to be in the book of James today. A lot of you don't know this, but I'm technically married to a Pakistani terrorist. She's not here today. Because she's a sleeper cell, probably in training. My wife... I did not realize until we'd been dating for a while. I was actually born in East Pakistan, what is now Bangladesh. She's the sweetest, most compassionate person in the world. But when I found out that she had dual citizenship and that she technically came from East Pakistan, now a family joke is when she's angry, we call her the East Pakistani terrorist. 
because we found out this thing about her. Today, you might find out something about you and whether you are or are not a Jesus follower, not a believer, a Jesus follower. Let me start in Matthew 20, 28, before we get to the book of James. It says this, Jesus talking about himself, he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, I want you to notice that. The culmination of his experience down here showing us things is serving others. Rolling up the pant legs and washing people's feet. That sort of thing. His focus isn't on getting served, but serving others. Now, the reason why that's interesting is he's a person that's kind of important. He's the son of God and the sort of person that should be served and obeyed and all this other stuff. But he, he didn't do that. Do we? I mean, I want to be served. I want to sit in a lazy boy. I want to say, get me a sandwich. I want to watch ESPN. I want my feet rubbed by my daughters and my shoulders massaged. I want my kids to come in and say, I got the chore list done. Dad, it was done early. What else can I do to serve you? I want people to come vacuum my house and buff and wax my car. I, I want to be served. That's, that's what we are like. And yet Jesus says, you know, if you're going to follow after me, it's not about getting to the millionaire position. It's not about getting to where you're served. It's about getting someplace very, very, very different. And are we getting there or not? Jesus says, I, I came to serve. He says a couple other things that we are a bit surprising. He says, I could have called you slaves. Like, I had the right to call you slaves, but I've called you friends. Another thing he says, he says, I haven't come into the world to judge it. My agenda is to seek and to save what is lost. And then you've got somebody that says, I'm a Jesus follower. And the question is, are we? Are we judging people all the time? Do we want to be served by our church or by, you know, our whatever? Do we want slaves? Or do we want friends? It's an open question to start. Does God care? I was in Denver a couple of years ago. What had happened is my, my daughter Madison had gotten pregnant out of wedlock, 15 years old. Bad situation with a bad young man. We literally gave away a whole bunch of stuff and, and sold a bunch of stuff. and just, We just headed out as far away as possible. We prayed about where to go. We went to Denver. I'm in Denver. I'm working with homeless people. And I'm also 50 years old. You know, who sells everything and moves to Denver? 50 years old. I'm a pastor. My, my, my unwed daughter has got a grandchild. Am I ever going to get hired into ministry again? I'm working with homeless people. And I'm driving into work one night. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is my crappy life. And this is my crappy job. And I'm not getting paid much. And I work with homeless people. And I'm sitting at a stoplight. And suddenly a car hits me from behind. Bam! I get out of the car, go over, and I, I say, hey, you know, we need to, you know, do the insurance thing. And the guy's like, okay. I'm like, 
Okay, we need to, I've already called the police. And he's like, oh, so you want to do it that way. I'm like, yes, I called the police. We're going we're gonna to do it that way. And then he, he says this, he says, what do you think happened, man? And I said, I think I was stopped at a red light, and I think you rear-ended me. And he said, oh, that's the way you're going to go. Police show up. And when the police show up, they kind of form two groups. One group is going to go talk to him. One group is going to talk to me. It's not, we're not that far apart from each other, so I can hear. He's sitting on the curb. Police officers come up to him, and they start to talk to him. And the, and the first thing he says is this. He goes, he goes, dudes, the lights are so bright. I can't even hear you. <laughs> the police are no longer talking to me. They all <laughs> go over here. Meanwhile, I end up, you know, having to call my wife. She picks me up, takes me home. My Jeep is wrecked. Uh, I'm not getting paid much at this job. I'm in the middle of feel sorry for myself mode. And in the time that I'd been in Denver, I tried to just be a good Christian. Okay, I'm serving homeless people. That's awesome. I'm trying to work a couple of jobs, take care of my family. I'm getting to know all the people in my apartment complex because I want to I want to minister to them. I want to be Jesus to them. And so there's a, a couple that I'm doing marriage counseling with, and there's another couple that are church burnouts, and another couple that used to believe and but don't, aren't sure if they believe anymore. I'm meeting all these people in the apartment complex, but this one couple that was kind of burned out on church, fried, no longer believed in church because of some things that had happened to their previous church experience. They find out that my car gets wrecked. And he comes over about two days after my car, my Jeep had been wrecked. And I'm sitting kind of in my backyard, and he says, here. And he hands me $3,000. A guy living in an apartment complex. Yeah, this isn't somebody that just has $3,000. He liquidated probably his savings account. And who is burned out on church and I'm an out-of-work pastor. Does God care? When I tried to not take it, he said, no, you need to take this, and you need to remember that God is faithful. And I stand there with $3,000 in my hand, crying, like the tough guy that I am. Because that guy, that family, answered the call, does God care in the lives of someone else? And they're all over. They're in prisons. Does God care? Waiting for you. They are in the nursing home. Does God care? Waiting for you. They're in big brothers and big sisters. They're a single mom. There's all kinds of things. It says this in James 1.22. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James is stepping into the plate and what he's basically doing is he's he's saying a couple of things. He says, prove yourself. Prove it. The whole DNA test. Prove it. 
It's an open question. Are you a Jesus follower? And people step up to the plate. Like, yeah, I go to church. I can, I, I, you know, I know a creed. I bought a cross thing back in the day. I had a Christian T-shirt. I, you know, my worship list on Spotify. Who cares? That's not what's going on here in the book of James. What's going on here in the book of James is he's saying, prove yourself doers of the word. Now, there's a couple of things going on. This first idea is prove. It means basically make manifest. What does that mean? It means create. It's actually a word that's sometimes used for poetry or for an artist sculpting something. Be a proof of the word. What does that mean? It means basically this, that who Jesus is is now expressed through you creatively. That you are a poem to the world, a love letter from God. Through all that you say and all that you do, you are an expression, an analogy, a metaphor of who Jesus is. Well, I didn't know being a Christian was that. That's exactly what being a Christian is. It's not a a set of propositional truths that you say, "I, I signed up for this. It's, no, 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 I see who Jesus is, I see what Jesus is doing in the world, and I step into imitating that shadow with what I say and with what I do, with my money, with my time. Prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers. What does it mean to be merely a hearer? Well, merely a hearer is somebody that just listens. But it never sinks in, it never saturates, it never transforms. See, the idea is that the word of God and who Jesus is and what the Holy Spirit is, all those things come into our lives and we're transformed. We emerge. We grow into something else. But then there's these hearers. You may be one of them. Who just listen and can parrot back answers. But they have deluded themselves. Now that's a little scary, isn't it? What does it mean to be delusional? Well, it's a mental illness. But in this case, what it means is to so rationalize, so defend yourself, so lie to yourself that you no longer can separate truth from reality about what your own life is or isn't. Well, I'm a Christian. And James says, prove it. And it's not proved by hearing that never actualizes into something. It needs to be more than that. James 1.22 says this, and then 1.23 through 24 says this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and they're not a doer, he's like some guy who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. We live in a, in, a, in a culture that, you know, we do selfies and Instagram and Snapchat. And all, we, you know, we take pictures of ourselves. And it's got this feeling, you know, you, you read this, it's like a man who looks in, the, in, in a mirror, takes a selfie, and then walks away and forgets what he's really like. It sounds like somebody who just, like, listens to the word and then moves on. And, you know, you know it's actually not that at all. It's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. And the word looks here means to look with penetrating discernment. This is a person who hears the word of God, hears what it says about who he could be, what his potential is, 
the word of God that talks about where his, where his shortfalls are, who, who really looks intently at this word as if it were an x-ray, as if it were an MRI. And they really see themselves. It's not just a shallow looking at self. My, my daughters have tried to explain to me their eyebrow game. But nobody knows about the eyebrow game? Guys, of course, you know about the eyebrow game. You know, when we evaluate girls and their looks, the first thing we do is we make a run towards how are their eyebrows, right? No, we don't. We don't care what their eyebrows look like. But my daughters, it's really important. They're too thin, too bushy, and maybe I want it to be, and oh my gosh, I, I have heard more information than I want to my entire life. Now, it's not that I don't ever have to do any manscaping, because I do. You know, my one daughter wanted me to have a twisty mustache. So I, I did this twisty mustache. You put the wax on, and sometimes the one side goes like this, and the other side curls up like this, and it looks like you're trying to do this and that. And sometimes you're just furious, and you take a bunch of Elmer's glue, and you get the one right, and you take a hair dryer because you want to cement it to your face, because that's the only way you can do things when you're a guy. So I don't know anything about an eyebrow game, but I, I feel for you about the mustache game. A man looking in a mirror. But then it goes on and it says this. It's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. Once he's looked at himself and he's gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of a person he is. Now, what, what is that? How is this, this person that it says is looking intently and discerningly in this mirror, this x-ray, this MRI, really sees themselves and then immediately forgets? Well, the forgetting word that's used here is not just forgetting like it's no longer in my mind, but forgets the implications of. Like, if I hear this, I have to change. For those of you that are married men in here, occasionally your wife will say something, and you'll go, uh-huh, yeah. And you're not thinking even remotely that you're going to have to change. You're going to have to do something differently. There's implications to what she just said. You're just trying to get out of a conversation alive. It looks like you're hearing, but you're not. That's what this person is like. Or maybe it's like this. There's a guy that wakes up in the morning, and he wakes up in the morning. He's in his pajamas. He gets up. He goes to the mirror. Hair's kind of a mess. Mustache is a mess. His eyebrows are a mess. Fixes his eyebrows, his mustache, gets his hair right, heads off to work, gets, off to, get, gets into work. As soon as he's at work, people are, you know, hey, high-fiving him and stuff like that. He's like, hey, cool, yeah. I look good. My mustache game must be working today. And um, sits down at the computer, and finally, you know, 10, 15 minutes after people are walking by, kind of smiling at him, somebody comes up to him and goes, um, Zach, why are you still in your pajamas? <laughs> they saw themselves, but they didn't see the implications of the transformation that needs to happen. Or the wife that says to the husband, husband's is rough on you today, um, says, you know, you've got anger issues, honey. No, I don't have anger issues. You just provoke me. Kids, do I have anger issues? Uh, no, dad. You go to counseling. They uncover all this stuff. You find out, yeah, I've got anger issues. You get in the car after counseling. Wife and kids are like, oh, good, you know. Dad finally kind of owns all of this stuff. You guys need to sit down back there and shut up. Because nothing has changed. 
And what James is basically saying is he's saying, look, there's a whole bunch of people that have ascribed to Christianity. They like the idea of the story of God's love coming down and forgiveness and grace and shame. They like all of that. But it hasn't penetrated deep enough that they see who they could truly become and they see who they truly are and they're transformed and moving out into the world, transforming it. They're not at all that way. They're a person that's completely forgotten what kind of a person the word says that they are, both the positive and the negative. It goes on in James 1.25, and it basically says this. But this one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in whatever he does. So here's a different man now being lined out. And I'm going to work my way backwards a little bit. It says that this man will be blessed in what he does. Let me explain a couple of things. How many things, how many people in this room, don't show me hands, would like a blessing? Okay. Matter of fact, let me explain what a blessing is. Blessing is this word that has some complexity to it. Part of what it means is that God shows up in that moment with his grace in unique ways. Part of the idea of blessing is happiness and joy, a sense of wonder. So there's this moment where God shows up and there's wonder and joy and happiness. More than that, blessing also is something that other people are envious of. They see what's going on inside of this person and through this person. They're like, wow, I wish I could be like that person. I wish I could be that person. But notice that this final line says that this person will be blessed in preposition what they are doing. Now, there's lots of blessings that come from God, but this one that I'm going to talk about here is a unique one. It only shows up when you are in the midst of doing good works. It shows up in those moments. And so this thought basically emerges. I could be a Christian who has all these ideas in my head about what Christianity is. I I never do anything. And as the years go by, all these opportunities for blessing slip out of reach. You just missed them all. All your lottery tickets of the life that God has for you just got shredded because you weren't really engaged. So let me start back in the beginning of this verse. But the one who looks intently, let me explain this word, looks intently. Again, it's, that, it's the same looks word about being kind of really focused and being really intentional. But it also adds another component to it of stooping down, of humility. More than just humility. Am I still here? All right. This stooping down is unique in what it conveys. It's the idea of like stooping down to talk to a child eye to eye, face to face. Or stooping down to smell the roses. Or stooping down to look at an empty tomb. Or stooping down to... Look at a piece of art. There's this person who humbles themselves before the word of God, looks intently at it, and then it keeps explaining. It says, this person looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Well, what's it talking about? Well, usually the law, when it's talked about in the New Testament, is is talking back to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. 
There's all those rules and stuff in there. But it's not the only way the law is used. Sometimes the law is used basically for everything that God has said. In fact, here what it says is it says the perfect law, which is not just the Old Testament, but the culmination of the Old Testament and who Jesus is, what he's like, his laughter, his hope, his meaning, his purpose, his identity. And then it says this, because James is being careful that Hebrew writers or Hebrew readers don't think, oh, this is just about the Old Testament law that I have to obey. He adds to it the perfect law, the law of liberty. Why is it, how is it the law of liberty? It's the law of liberty in the sense that Jesus came and he set us free. We're no longer focused like religion often is as God's ticked off up there. I need to do good works to keep him pacified. I never know how many good works I have to do to keep him pacified, but I'm a little hamster in an exhaustion wheel trying to pull this off. And James is like, no, 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 that's not this at all. You've got this perfect law, this law of liberty, which was culminated in who Jesus is. You're free. You're completely free. The only question is, what's your response to having been set free of condemnation? What's your response to being loved outrageously by God? What's your response to his wanting to come in and transform your life and to have you with him throughout eternity? And it goes on, it says, this person looks intently at the perfect law, this law of liberty, and abides by it. What does that mean to abide by it? It's a catchphrase. Jesus uses it multiple times. He says, you have to abide in me. It means to be close to, to be saturated with, to be in partnership with, to be constantly connected to. Notice the difference between this person and the other person. The one person hears things and forgets completely the implications of any of it and just wanders off. But not this person. This person is looking and listening to the word of God. And sees its culmination in who Jesus is and abides, saturating, steeping in it constantly. And basically going, how can I 24-7 live this out? How can I be Jesus to my coworkers, to my neighbors? What are the gifts that I have? What are the strengths that I have? What, what is it that I can give the world that can be an extension, an echo of Jesus providing compassion and love and forgiveness and meaning? How can I do that? Constant abiding communication with God's word and who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit thinking constantly this way. And it goes on and it says that this person has not become a forgetful here but an effectual doer, effective doer. Well, what does that mean? It means that this person is doing things that are having an effect on other people. Now, all of us, 24-7, we're having an effect on other people. The only question is what that effect is. You ever read somebody's Facebook posts and you think that it's just a wood chipper for hopes and dreams? Their negativity is so pervasive. Their condemnation and judgment is so complete. It's like a black hole. But then there's other people. There's other people that smile. There's other people that speak truth in love. There are other people that show up to help somebody move in or move out. There's other people that recognize somebody's getting a divorce and is helping them. through. There's other people that are really abiding in this law and this extension of who Jesus is 
all the time, and they're effective at it. Well, what happens when you're effective at it? It says a couple of things down at the bottom. It says that he'll be blessed in whatever he does. And the he does basically means he forges, he forms. Whatever this person is trying to do to be an extension of who Jesus is will be forged into reality and it will affect reality. Not all kidding aside, let me just kind of back up for a second. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Isn't that what all of us wanted to sign up for? Not just the idea of forgiveness and salvation and rescue, but the idea that we would be caught up in this incredible story that God wants to do throughout the world. Not just receive the story, all the stuff that he's done, but participate in its continuation. And again, look at what it says. This man will be blessed in preposition what he does. This idea of blessing, of being at your best, of being fully awake and alive to your true self, to be a creative, artistic person expressing who Jesus is. Another thing that happens with this term blessing is literally that you become bigger. That's part of the definition of blessing is this this growth, this bigness. It's kind of like the idea of a flower. You water it and it expresses itself up. So I took Jason to some fireworks on July 3rd. We're packed in like sardines. And all the fireworks are going off. And there's this group of boys at this place where we go get fireworks. They're probably most of them between the ages of maybe 9 and 12. And they're playing that game where you throw the football and there's a whole crowd of boys, like a rugby scrum, and they're stabbing each other and beating each other. Whoever catches the ball gets to run, and they get to throw it. So Jason's four years old. And Jason's pointing at that. Because who doesn't want to be a part of the stupid guy crowd that's destroying each other? That's just what you do. And I explain, I said, Jason, you can't, you can't, you can't do it yet. You've you got to get bigger. They're, they're just going to mow you down. So a couple minutes go by, he eats his dinner, really without complaint, eats all of his dinner. And he comes up and he presents himself to me. Papa. Bigger. (laughs) Dude, no, they're going to just mow you over. We do some other things, you know, and then later on, he again, he's looking over there and he's, Papa, bigger. Now here's... Here's the sweet part, and you know, the question is whether we've lost it. He's looking over at what they're doing, and he's saying, I want to get bigger so that I can do that. Do we? As Jesus followers, are we aspiring to, do we want God to bless us and bring out the best in us and the bigness in us so that we can serve other people and be at our best and we're looking out at the horizon I can't wait to participate in that or are we forgetful hearers who want to be served who have forgotten who we are we're going to skip a verse Go right to James 1.27. In James 1.26, it talks about how the effect that all of this should have is on your, on your mouth. We're going to skip that. We're going to go to this. It says this. It says, 
pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and our Father is this. It's to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Now there's a whole great big list, not just here in James, but in multiple places in the New Testament. It's where does this Jesusness happen? Where are those boxes that we're, we're in, which are these blessing transformation moments? There's, the list is endless. There's widows, there's orphans, there's people up there at Stonebridge, there's single moms, there's the mentally ill, there's homeless people, there's big brothers and big sisters, there's countless people that are widows and orphans. The point isn't that there's widows and orphans, and that's my list. The point is that Jesus is constantly stepping into the marginalized lives of people. People, when things are completely unraveling and falling apart, are we those sort of people? Or are we so judgmental and so loud and so condemning that nobody's going to ever invite us into their failures because we're not a people of grace. We're a people of hammering. Notice more in this verse to visit these orphans and widows in their distress. The word distress is partially the idea of travail. It has to do with walls and circumstances crushing somebody. It means to feel trapped as if there's no escape and no options. Because widows and orphans in that society, they just didn't have options. They didn't have a network to take care of them. If you were a widow or you were an orphan, you weren't going to make it to the next level of the economy. You weren't going to make it in all kinds of things in life. See, if you're an orphan, your dad would be the one to teach you a skill, and that was your entrance into making a living. But if you're an orphan, you're just... If you're a widow, only men could own property back then. These are really vulnerable people. And the point is this, that James is basically saying, you know what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be listening for all the people that are in distress. And we need to be stepping into those moments. When it says visit, it means far more than visit. We have a tendency to think the visit means, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll go up to Stonebridge, I'll bring some chocolates, somebody will ramble incoherently about something, I'll visit a homeless person or a drug addict, again, I'll volunteer some time, I'll sort some clothes. It doesn't, doesn't even remotely mean that. What it means to visit, it means to arrive, inspect, and provide a solution. It means that we're looking for people whose lives are in distress. We're arriving there. We're inspecting what's going on. And then it's our job to provide solutions. Some of those solutions are your compassion. Some of those solutions are letting somebody cry on your shoulder. Some of those solutions are some of you have money. Some of you have skills to fix things. Some of you can cook. And the question is, is that what's going on? So if the DNA test is something like this, James would say, basically the DNA test is when's the last time these sort of things happened in your life? When was the last time you were in that blessing box where you were at your best and fully alive and joy and, and you impacted other people? Or is that like a tiny marginal part of your life? Is it the theme of your life or is it a, 
an occasion of your life? Some tough questions would be like these. Question number one, who are you serving? Who are you serving? Not friends and family, don't, don't go there. I, I, I have family, I serve them, I have to, I live with them. Who are you serving that's outside of that? And I, I don't mean necessarily VBS of the church, I mean who are you serving? Asking God daily, God, who do you want me to serve in my neighborhood, in my employment? God, who, what skills do I have? Where do you want to position me to serve others? Second question, what are you a doer of? I read my Bible, I listen to podcasts, I sing along with worship songs, I got a Spotify, who cares? What are you a doer of? Are you following in Jesus' footsteps in his actions? When was the last time you did something? Third question, tough one, are you delusional? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm locked and loaded, this Jesus stuff. I'm, as soon as Jesus tells me to do something, I'll do it. I've been waiting seven years and I haven't done anything, but I'm available. You might be delusional. What blessings? When was the last time you felt that blessing? When was the last time you served somebody as a servant unconditionally? You grew bigger, you, like that flower, you came alive, you were at your best. You felt God infusing the moment with laughter and love and joy and hope. When was the last time that happened? Are you living a life of blessing? Or not? Fifth question, have you forgotten who you are? Well, who am I? Well, you know, I come from English descendants, and I'm, I'm, I'm white, I'm, I'm a Caucasian. No, I'm, not, I'm none of those things. I'm a son of God, and I am his ambassador to the world. I was bought with his blood, redeemed by the cross of Jesus' suffering. That's who I am. The only question is, am I living that, or am I living... You know what? The American dream? Or evangelical religiosity? Last question. Find their distress. And you might find your true self. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you serve others, when you stoop down low, when you're fully in the moment, when God awakens all of your potential. You get large and you're at your best. That is so addictive. But in order to find people's distress, you've got to be the sort of person that's going to be shared distress with. If we're judgmental, if we're mean-spirited, if we constantly have a list of who is right or wrong about this, that, and the other thing, if, if we're like, you know, I, 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 I told you so, if we're that people, nobody's ever going to share their distress with you. But if you're the person that listens and tears up and opens up their arms, even when people are just bringing you their dumpster fires, if you're like Jesus was, because that's all people ever brought to him, then people will share their distress and you can step into the middle of it. The question I asked in the beginning, does God care? 
God does care. And you're here to prove it. And that's the book of James in a nutshell. Is basically, it's an open DNA question. Are you proving this to the world or not? So have some wonderful soul searching this week. I hope that you will not be delusional. I hope you will wake up to a life of blessing and impact. But it's your call. Let me pray. Father God, Father, we're, we're a people that have a tendency to think about our religion and our spirituality and how we feel and what we think. And Father, we forget to actually make a difference in the world. We forget that our words and our actions, our money, our time, all belong to you. And that you want us to deploy those things to transform the world. Father, forgive us. We're waiting to be served instead of serving. And we forget your word and go on with our own lives. But Father, change us. Transform us. Turn us into the sort of artists that we're supposed to be, forging the likeness of who you are through everything we say and do. Help us to change the world. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.